0: welcome to the Hills Baptist podcast we're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond we hope you enjoy this message all right we're getting straight into it this morning for those of you who have been tracking with us a little bit we're in the book of Acts and last week we looked at Acts chapter 1 and uh, there's we're going to Dive into the Word, but last week what we saw was that the Spirit, in looking at the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit is with us as the agent of our salvation, that He is in us, in believers, as the assurance of salvation, and that He comes upon believers empowering, equipping, strengthening, stealing, gifting us to become announcers of salvation. And so we saw this last week in just a few verses In uh, chapter one, today we're going to turn the page and we're going to dive into chapter two. So if you've got your Bibles open to chapter two, we're going to read from verse one through 13 to start with and we'll see how we go. And why don't we stand together uh, in reverence for the reading of God's word. Acts two. When the day of Pentecost, everyone say Pentecost, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, uh, Phaegra and Pamphylia and Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Christians and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, oh. amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, "What does this mean?" Some, however, made fun of them and said, "They have had too much wine." Lord, bless your word. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Lord, I, as we're worshiping, I just sense you say, "This is a last Sunday." Uh, strip back and a chance to wait. And Lord, I pray that you would do just a beautiful, gentle, transformative work in the lives of each and every person here. There is not one of us that has arrived. There is not one of us who have it all figured out. We are children like that little lion cub we talked about last week. And we look to the great lion of the tribe of Judah and we humbly come and we say, speak Lord, show us more of you, we pray. In the precious name of Jesus and all the saints said, amen. You may be seated. As we read the New Testament, what you're gonna learn and what you'll see as you go through it is there's four things that the Apostle Paul urges us to not be ignorant about. Four things to not be ignorant about. The first one is God's heart for Israel and how it relates to the church from Romans eleven twenty-five 25 to 27. The second one is Satan's devices uh, and the power God has given us in forgiveness over him. And that's from 2 Corinthians 2.10. The third one's the rapture of the church and end times theology in 1 Thessalonians 4. And the fourth one is the work and function of the Holy Spirit in the church, 1 Corinthians 2.1. Four things that he says, do not be ignorant about. And as I've been studying this this week, I couldn't get out of my head the matrix and that famous saying, ignorance is bliss. And I was reminded of many, many years ago when Joe's sister uh, was marrying a sensational man who is now my brother-in-law and at the time one of my best mates. So I was best man at his wedding. And uh, two weeks before their wedding, we had their bucks and hens days and we're Christians, so it was all appropriate. And uh, the plan, we had this great day planned with all sorts of different challenges, some slightly embarrassing attire that would be put upon him. Uh, and a whole heap of challenges down at Glenelg and all over the place. Uh, but the morning of that Buck show, uh, he woke up with sort of violent gastro and was feeling really, really, really unwell, and he tried to come out for a little bit of it, which was a bad idea because other people then got gastro and later on missed a bit of the wedding, but that's another story. But he tried to come out, and after I was like, he just couldn't do it. So we took him home, but then myself and his two brothers were like, well... He can't not have a buck. So maybe for the wedding speech, the, the groomsman wedding speech, what we'll do is we'll film a video of us in his attire that he was supposed to wear, completing all of his challenges for him. Like, that will be a great laugh. You know, build that sense of fun and all of that, and then we'll bring home a bit of, you know, love, as you should do. Anyone doing a best man's speech always bring the love. All right, Side note. So we go down to Glenelg, we're doing all sorts of challenges, dressed in clothing, again, slightly embarrassing, and it was a great night for a lot of the night. Jumping around, going up and meeting all sorts of different people, uh, different people who are coming out from pubs at certain later times in the evening, get my gist, some of you, that they weren't necessarily of sound mind as we were doing these challenges, And then we had sort of one challenge to go and I saw this group of guys who looked less than friendly but I thought to myself, I'm a pretty friendly guy. (laughs) And I was in a good mood because we'd completed a whole bunch of challenges and it had been a great night, winning all sorts of people over. I thought, I'm just gonna go up to these guys because they look a bit sad and I'm gonna improve their quality of evening. Uh, by inviting them to help me finish this last challenge. So I start walking over to them. As I'm walking, like there's tattoos, uh, and there was uh, a common tattoo that I noticed that all of them had, which was sort of a tear just below their eye. So <laughs> <laughs> I start walking over to them, Dan's brothers both look at me and like, run after me, grab me, and be like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm gonna go ask these blokes to finish the challenge with me. And they're like, no, you're not. And they spin me around and start walking. And as we start walking back to the car, these guys all get up and just gently start walking after us. And then there's brother like, go, 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 go. <laughs> we jump into the car, they like, whoop, whoop, and off they go, we took off. And they're like, you are an idiot. Like, what are you doing? You do not approach those guys. I'm like, well, I didn't grow up in Glenelg. I didn't know that they were whatever they were, some sort of gang who liked hurting people uh, and weren't clearly in the mood for fun or have any sense of humour whatsoever. They're like, you never approach those people, ever. They're like, don't be so ignorant. Ignorant. Because ignorance might be bliss, but it can also be very dangerous. And the same is true in the scriptures. Ignorance might be bliss, but actually it can be very, very dangerous because if we are ignorant to the things of the Spirit and the things of God, we actually inadvertently believe lies. And lies imprison, but the truth sets us free. Come on, Hills Baptist. Lies in prison, but the truth sets us free. And it's fascinating to me when we look at these four things that the Apostle Paul says, do not be ignorant about. If you look through church history, what you're gonna discover is that so much church conflict, church division, the formation of different denominations has come out of disagreements and ignorance specifically related to these four topics. God's heart is that we would not be ignorant, but that we would be a people who are seeking truth. And as we come to this topic today, Acts chapter two, I recognize that in this room and watching online and people who will watch online in the days, weeks, months, years to come, that within our church community, we are a beautiful, eclectic family of God that is unusual on the earth, where we've got this beautiful, broad spectrum of theologies who are laying some things down to pick up unity for the sake of Christ. And we see in that the blessing of God. And so in Acts chapter two, we come to a topic that has split churches. It has, because of ignorance. And here's why we shouldn't be surprised to this. Because as we read Acts chapter two, and the verses we just read, come back with me to verse 12 and 13. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. When we come to confusing things in the Bible, these particularly these four things and others, but these confusing things in Scripture, there's two ways we can approach them. We're gonna be perplexed probably, but we can either be open and inquisitive and ask the question, what does this mean? or we can be closed and critical and mock and shut ourselves off. My heart for us, for you, is that we would be the verse 12 people, not the verse 13. That is today and for the rest of our existence, that we would be a people who when it comes to the things of the Spirit, the things of God, would be open and inquisitive, amazed, amazed, perplexed, yes, but we would just say, what does this mean? Talk to me, God, show me more. And here's the thing, because when we are open and inquisitive, we, we begin to ask questions. It, it's not naivety. We wanna be discerning and strong, yes, yes, We wanna be rich in the word, rich in conversation with one another, not naive, not just letting any spirit in, but no, no, strong in what God has for us, but open to what his spirit wants to teach us. And in that we learn. If we're closed and critical, what happens is, one, we actually are putting God in that box and saying, well, I've learned everything I need to know about this and I can learn no more. And also we actually hurt other people because they might just learn from us as we engage in the conversation going back and forth. I've learned so much from people who don't see eye to eye to me as I've been refined and they've been refined together by wrestling through things. My prayer, my heart, my desire in my life, Lord, let me be open and inquisitive. Give me that spirit that just longs to know more, that I would look upon the things of God and say, God, you are so wonderful, you are so beautiful, you are so magnificent, show me more, show me more of your beauty. You know, that Paul's prayer, that that I would have power from on high to know the love of God that surpasses all understanding, something of its height and its breadth and its depth. Lord, there is more that I don't know I wanna be open and I want him to show me and teach me and that's my prayer for us, amen? Open and inquisitive. So with that said, let's get into this passage, hey? Because this is phenomenal. I'm so excited to teach what he's showing me, guys. God has been showing me so much stuff in this passage because as I started reading this, there's three questions that jump out to me. Two that they ask, one that they don't ask because they don't need to ask it because they're Jews, but I figured we should probably ask it because we're not coming from their culture with their level of understanding of Jewish traditions. So the three questions here they are <clears throat> one, why Pentecost? Why on the day of Pentecost? Why now? Why not when he ascended? You know what I mean? Like 40 days hanging out with him. I get that because he's giving proof to everyone. But then why not as he's standing there? Why does he say, wait? Why not just go, I'm going up, spirit's coming down. i got that Sally Up song. I'm going up, he's coming down. He's going to turn your life around. Anyway. The things that happen in my head, church. (laughs) Like, why Pentecost? Why wait? It's a fascinating question. Second question that they ask, what does this mean? And as we get to the end of the chapter, which we're going to look at, it simply says, what should we do? Why Pentecost? What does this mean? What should we do? Why Pentecost? In a really simple answer, the reason why Jesus says wait is because what he is doing is he is revealing the eternal redemptive purposes of God through the traditional Jewish religious feasts. He is revealing the eternal redemptive purposes of God through the Jewish Worship calendar. Who wants to study the Bible with me? Here's what you need to know. There are seven Jewish festivals. Seven Jewish festivals that have run. Here's what they are. The autumn, they're four in the spring, which is the early harvest. Three in the autumn, which is the latter harvest. Okay? The three autumn ones are the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and Tabernacles. We're not gonna be able to touch them today. Trumpets, Atonement, Tabernacles. The four spring ones Passover, Passover is where the Jews celebrate their deliverance from slavery in Egypt by the slaughtering of a lamb that the blood might be put over the doorpost, so a covering of blood over the people that death might not come to them but would pass over them. That's Passover. The very next day is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That runs for seven days. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread is where the Jewish people remove all yeast. Now yeast in the scripture is symbolic of sin because yeast, if it's left there for a while, especially without fridges and things, will cause things to decay at a rapid rate. And so what happens as you're leaving slavery is you need to get rid of yeast, sin. And so it's this picture that we're gonna get rid of that. Right, so they celebrate this. We've removed. We've been exiting from slavery. God saved us from slavery, but He's also saving us from sin. On the third day of Passover, so two days after uh, the second day of the unleavened bread, but on the third day from Passover, we have the feast of first fruits, which was where they celebrate that that seed at harvest has been put into the seed. Sorry, at sowing time has been put into the ground. Has died and has sprouted up and has produced new life. And that first fruit harvest is what they celebrate on the third day, celebrating what God has done. And then, 50 days after first fruits, they celebrate Pentecost. Everyone say Pentecost. And Pentecost is where they celebrate the giving of the law to Israel through Moses on Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus. And so they celebrate and say, God has given us the rules of engagement. This is how we can have relationship and connection with God. Are you ready? Jesus, go to the gospels. Jesus died on Passover. Passover as the sacrificial lamb, that all who would come underneath his blood would not perish, but would have eternal life. That death would pass them by and the life of God would reign supreme in them. He died as the Passover lamb, fulfilling everything. Not even his bones were broken. And there's so much in Passover, which we don't have time to talk about today. But so much that Jesus meets. The very next day, Jesus is put in the tomb. He is set aside. As he goes into the tomb, he takes with him the curse of sin and death, the yeast. Oh, the yeast, the sin and death goes into the tomb and is removed for all those who would have faith and fellowship with Christ. We see the beginning that he is fulfilling the unleavened bread. On the third day, what does he do? He rises as the first fruit. Colossians says that he is the first of many. He rises as the first fruits to God. As this picture that he is fulfilling the first fruit. And then he says, he hangs around for 40 days and then he says, wait. He doesn't say wait until Pentecost. He just says wait, right? So we know that Pentecost is 50 days after First fruits. He hung around for how many days teaching? Forty. So, how long did the disciples wait? Ten days. Good maths. Well done. Give yourselves a round of applause. Great. So the disciples are literally waiting for 10 days. They don't actually understand what it is that they're waiting for. They're just waiting. And there's this fascinating thing that happens at the end of chapter one where Peter gets up and he's like, let's draw straws and they pick uh, Matthias as the replacement. Now, we can debate later whether or not that's actually obedience or disobedience because I think God had actually ordained Paul for that 12th of- anyway. They're actually behaving in the old covenant rather than the new, but we're not gonna go into that. But then we get to chapter two and it says, on the day of Pentecost, And on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit comes like a rushing wind. Tongues of fire set upon their head. They begin to proclaim the wonders of God in different tongues, prophetically declaring all that God has done so that others would hear and be amazed and say, what is this all about? And then Peter gets up and he gives a sermon And he says, this is that, spoken by the prophet Joel. And he begins to unpack what they are seeing. So this sight, this sound, this song, this declaring the wonders of God, these three things that are happening causes people to go, what's going on? This is Pentecost. This is the day we celebrate the coming of the law, the old covenant And this is happening, he goes, this is that which was spoken about by the prophets, that a day is gonna come when God's gonna put his spirit on people. Now, I want you to see something. We're gonna dive into these signs and what it means in a minute. But in the book of Exodus, in the 32nd chapter, when Moses goes up and gets the law from God, and it's all these chapters of law and rules and things like that, what happens when he comes down the mountain? According to Aaron, a golden calf just appeared out of the fire. There's a golden calf that's fashioned and formed. And as Moses comes down the mountain, I'm going, oh, let's go there. Let's read it so you know I'm not just making this up. Exodus 32. As Moses comes down. From verse 27. Oh, sorry, let's go from verse 25. Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughingstock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And the Levites rallied to him. Then he said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 people died. About 3,000 people died. And Moses said, You have been set apart for the Lord today. What happens at Pentecost when the message of the Spirit starts to come? At the end of Peter's preach, it says, About 3,000 were saved, were added to their number that day. About, so, come on. About three, so. When the law came, 3,000 people died. When the law came, though it was good, because it's God's law, 3,000 died. When the Spirit came, 3,000 were added. This is such a powerful picture, what God is doing. Why Pentecost? Because God is revealing to humanity the power of the new covenant that has come that all would know that life is in the Spirit. This is what Paul's talking about in in Romans chapter eight when he he says, where is it? I've got it here somewhere. Let's just, we'll go to the Word rather than notes because I never know where my notes are at. Verse one, chapter eight. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Watch this. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh... So the law couldn't bring life because it was powerless, because it was weakened by the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering, Passover, and so condemned sin in the flesh, unleavened bread feast, in order the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who don't, do not live according. To the flesh, but according to the spirit, fast forward says, Therefore, we are more than conquerors, which is first fruits. Guys, this flopped and blew my mind. <laughs> I've studied this passage so many times and I've never seen that 3,000 before. This is a complete rewrite. A complete fulfillment. Could it even be that when Jesus said, "I did not come to abolish the law to fulfill it," that's exactly what He meant. Guess what the next feast is? Trumpets. How's he coming back? Oh! <laughs> to the sound of trumpets. This you can't make this stuff up. You know what I'm talking about? You can't make this stuff up. You can't just get the word over the course of thousands of years and just happen to put it all together and be like, fantastic. This can only be God. This is a complete renewal. And the testifying truth to that, what causes that engagement is what we're about to see. The signs that follow the signs that follow. So the Jews see this, the Jews see this happening and in their mind, they're like, this is Pentecost. What is this? This is a new law. What the heck is going on? They're like, what does all of this mean? What does all of this mean? Great question, Jewish and non-Jewish people who are following the Jewish religion there for the Feast of Pentecost. Excellent question. Let's carry on because Peter is about to explain. Go to verse 14. Verse 14. Are you guys happy to study the Bible with me this morning? Are we happy to study the Bible this morning? Good. Verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. You've heard a sound... You've seen a sign, the sound of the rushing wind. You've seen the sign of the tongue of fire. There's this song that rises. Another translation says that as they proclaimed, they sang the song, the song went up. This whole, this, this noise went up of tongues being declared, proclaiming the wonders of God. You've seen this. Let me explain it to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. That's the tongues. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit. Spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I'll show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke, tongues of fire on them. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then he goes on. Let's just pause for a second and have a look at this. So, what is it? What does all of this mean? Firstly, we're going to look at these three signs. I seriously feel like I want to preach on this for about 15 hours, but we clearly don't have time for that. The sound of a rushing wind. What is this? The sound of a rushing wind. As you come to that verse 17, in the last days I said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. The Greek word there is the word pneuma. Everyone say pneuma. In Hebrew, it's ruach. Everyone say ruach. Both of those words interchangeably are used with breath, wind, spirit. Now this immediately takes you back to Genesis chapter two. Because in Genesis chapter two, right at the beginning, what does God do with humanity? Humanity. The ruach is hovering over the waters in creation. So life comes through the ruach. And then what happens is he breathes into humanity. Breath, spirit, wind, all speaking to this picture of the Spirit of God. And he breathes into humanity and they became a living being. So life comes through breath. Chapter three. If I was you, I'd be taking notes right now. Chapter three we see the promise that all who disobey, all who take the fruit, all who choose to go against God's way, all who choose to set themselves up as God over him, say, no, I wanna choose right from wrong. I wanna determine which way I should go because I wanna be my own God. Everyone who does that, everyone who enters into pride, he says, surely if you take of this, you will die. And they take of it, And in that moment, we see death come upon humanity, not instantaneously in the flesh, but the spirit which was created to be immortal becomes mortal. And there is distance placed between humanity and God. And then we see the pattern of the Old Testament, all the ways of God pursuing humanity, all the way to Sinai, He makes a covenant with Abraham. He then makes a covenant with Israel on Sinai and he creates this way in which humanity could come and engage and it goes through the prophets and all of it is testifying that a day will come when the breath will come again and life will be restored. This is that. They've heard the sound, a sound that they heard on Sinai, a sound that Adam and Eve heard in the garden which terrified them. After they'd sinned, they heard the sound like the rushing of a violent wind. Like, what is this? He goes, This is that spoken by the prophet Joel. This is the breath of God. This is life. This is new life. This is the new creation. This is Genesis 2 redone. In this moment, this is what Christ came for. Because remember, the Holy Spirit, why does he exist? We talked about this last week. Why was he sent? He was sent to bring to remembrance everything that Jesus has said. He was sent to bring glory to the Son. He was sent to draw people unto the Son. He was sent to, to bring the Word and to bring signs and wonders so that we would be captivated by Christ. And so the sound comes so that we would know that new life cannot be attained through feasts and festivals. New life cannot be attained through Hail Mary's. New life cannot be attained through Hare Krishna's. New life cannot be attained by going to the mosque and praying a particular way five times a day. New life can only be found by faith in the one who has the power to breathe it upon humanity because he breathed it at the beginning of time. That's what is going on here. They hear the sound, he's like, this is what this is. This sound, the the, the coming of the Spirit is that there is a new creation in you. You were dead in your sin and transgression and now you have been made alive in Christ if you would believe upon Him. That the seed in you, we talk about this all the time, that your identity has shifted if you are in Christ. You have gone from a sinner to a saint. That's your position. Sanctified. Yes, being sanctified because you're in the flesh but you will be sanctified again but you are a new creation in Christ. New life, new life. The sound means new life. How many of you this day need new life? How many of you this day have friends or family who need new life? I came to declare this morning that if you are in Christ and only in Him, you are a new creation. No matter where you've gone, no matter what you've done, no matter what's happened to you, no matter what lies have been spoken over you, if you are in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed your sins from you. That is who you are. In him. The sound of a rushing wind secondly tongues of fire what's the tongues of fire so they hear the sound and then they see the what looks like a flame and oh this takes us straight back to the old testament again over and over and over god appears to his people as fire abraham when he makes the covenant to become abraham he appears As fire, as a blazing torch. Sinai, he appears to people on the mountain. How? Fire on the mountain. Smoke, fire, glory. Fire represents presence. But Leona preached this a couple of weeks back. It's more than just presence because God is a consuming fire. So fire actually represents this idea that, that he, will, he will consume, he will destroy everything that is impure. And so on Sinai in 96, he says, I'm going to make you a kingdom of priests, meaning that we will, that, that sin will be consumed, that he's, he's on a mission to draw us back into right relationship with himself, that he would dwell with us. And then the temple gets established, skipping some time. And in the temples established in 2 Chronicles, we see that the temple, that fire falls from heaven. And the glory of God fills the place and everyone falls to the ground. But isn't it fascinating that he says in Exodus 19 that he would make them a kingdom of priests and yet the first thing that happens is they sin against him except for the Levites, and the Levites are drawn to him. Where did the priesthood come from? The Levites, Bible study. And so he, makes, he, he brings about a priesthood, but it was never just supposed to be just the Levites. It was supposed to be Israel a repre- as a representative and a picture of what the Messiah would do in bringing all people into that priestly nature. that we would become the kingdom of priests. And so this picture of the fire is that the presence of God now doesn't just dwell in a temple made by human hands, but that all who would believe have become living temples, that the spirit of God indwells humanity, that sin has been destroyed, that we can boldly approach the throne of grace to receive mercy in our time of need. Here's what he's doing. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Listen to this. Jeremiah, prophetically speaking to this day, the days are coming declares the Lord when I will make a new covenant. The old covenant was brought with fire on a mountain. The new covenant is brought with fire on a people. This is a symbol that points to the new covenant reality that had been prophesied all through the Old Testament. Days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel uh, and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbour or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. This is what the fire represents. The fire on them is this sign to everyone there that the prophetic word from Jeremiah has come to pass that because of Christ, in Christ, the Messiah has come to bring about his new covenant a kingdom of priests, to reign with God and dwell with the Son. Is he worthy? Is he? I keep wanting to sing. Yes, he is. He is worthy because this is what he's done. He's established the new covenant. And this is what Pentecost is about, is proclaiming to the world, proclaiming to us this very day that by the Spirit, the new covenant has come and that God wants to dwell with all of humanity through faith in Christ. That the distance is gone. That just like on Sinai, when the fire and everything came and the first thing the Jewish people did was say, that's too much for us. You speak to Him. We don't, picture God's heart, church. It's been breaking my heart all week that the people that He came for, the first thing they do when they see His presence is say, we don't want that. We want law. We want religion. We want Moses to tell us what to do. We don't want relationship with you. And the new covenant is so that we would not do that. That we would not come back under law and say, I want religion. I want to get to you my way. I want to get to you in my safe way. No, it's so that Christ would be all in all, and that we would know that we can have intimacy with the living God because He died as the Passover lamb, He was buried as the unleavened bread, and He raised as the first fruit offering. That we might have life and that we might have intimacy with the living God. And then we see the tongues. Go to Genesis 11. Is this okay, church? Genesis 11. You know, Genesis 11 is kind of the culmination of three through to covenant. Genesis 3 to 11 is all about human beings just running away from God. And the culmination of it is this, the Tower of Babel. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech as people were moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come let, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come let us build ourselves. Everyone underline ourselves. A city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Everyone say ourselves. Ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. You get a sense that there's still something that they know that God's intention for them is to be one. But they're trying to do it themselves. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if there's one people speaking the same language, they've begun to do this and nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the earth. And the very next thing it moves on to is God's pursuit of them through Abraham. Acts 2 is a Babel reversal. It is a picture of a new kingdom. We have new creation, we have new covenant, and we have new kingdom that the striving of humanity to constantly build for themselves a tower, to constantly seek selfish gain, pride, which, funnily enough, our world continues to celebrate at a rapid rate of knots, which is actually completely contrary to the will of God, and will ultimately lead to death and destruction. But Acts 2, the coming of the Spirit, is this proclamation to the world that I have made you one and that I am establishing for myself my kingdom and I am bringing all people from every tongue and every tribe and I'm welcoming everyone in to work together by the power of my spirit under the lordship of my son that the kingdom of heaven would be made manifest on earth as it is in all of eternity, amen? And so they hear the tongues and there's this beautiful picture that the culmination of that Genesis sin train has been stopped and reversed in a dime at the coming of the Spirit of God. That Babel has been reversed. This is what 1 Peter 2.9, that I'll make you a royal priesthood. This is Ephesians 4, that I have made all of you a minister that every single person in Christ is a minister. You don't have to come to a temple and just let someone else do it anymore. No, no, you enter in by the Spirit, through the Son, into the glory of God. Eternal relationship with Him. That's what this means. That's what Peter's declaring in his sermon. And he was shorter than me but it does say to use many other words. So I think he went longer than a page. That's what Pentecost is about. Pentecost is about new creation, new covenant, new kingdom. And the sign existed so that humanity, eyes would be open and go, wow. He has made a way that we can enter in. And then comes the last question, and the band, you guys can come up. And after this, we're gonna pray, and we're gonna have space to pray. But the question they ask is, what shall we do? Let's go to verse 37. When the people heard this, so after he declared all of these things about who the Messiah is and what he has done, In redeeming humanity, after their attention had been captivated by the Spirit moving, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Listen to Peter's reply. You ready? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you. Every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised in about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Repent and be baptised, every one of you. And you will receive the Holy Spirit. Last week we talked about how Luke 11, God is a good father who gives good gifts to his children who ask. We don't need to conjure an atmosphere We don't need to manufacture an environment. God is pleased to dwell with his people. The question is are we closed and critical, afraid? Because it might make us a bit uncomfortable, and those gift things. I'm happy with the gift of administration, Lord, but I'm not sure about prophecy. make us nervous do you know why it makes us nervous control Babel want to do it our way want to build my kingdom my way and I want to just keep God in a safe place but as my favourite author who you all know C.S. Lewis says safe I never said safe. He is not a tame lion, but he is good. And so we wait and we say, Lord, I don't want to keep you in that little religious box anymore. If you trust Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, his spirit is in you but we can fill the room with clutter and say, you can come this far, but no more. What this is, this moment, and what God wants to do in all of our lives is this is a kicking down of the clutter. This is a breaking through of the walls and he's saying, just let me come into the inmost place. Let me get into the room where you have the floor drobe, where there's the mess, the junk room. That no one else sees that you keep at a distance. You don't don't do that with me. I'm in you, but I want all of you. And trust me, because I'm good, and I will give you exactly what you need. If you repent, repentance means a whole turning. It's not just a one off hand in the air that says, I want Jesus in my life, it is a lifestyle. It is a lifestyle of ongoing repentance that says, I don't want to be Lord of my life. I want you to be Lord. And it's a walking towards Him. It says, repent and believe. Believing means trusting in Him with our whole lives. It means that I don't just have my theology right. It means that I trust in him that I read his word that I wait upon him and I say be Lord of my life I am yours I will follow you wherever you say to go you can read theology 10 hours a day for 40 years of your life and you can know a lot about him but never truly know him It's John Wesley's story, it's George Whitfield's story, it's Charles Wesley's story, it's Francis Asprey's story, the great men of the Great Awakening, all of them knew the theology, they knew the stuff, they'd studied it, but something was missing. And they had to repent of their religion. They had to repent of their works-based religion and as they repented of their works-based religion, John Wesley says, my heart was strangely warmed And he says, the birthplace, him, Whitfield, Charles Wesley, these guys sat in a room and the Spirit of God came and they wept and they wept and they wept over their sin, over the sin of their nation. They wept as the Spirit of God just started to break their hearts for what broke His. And then they went out and all of a sudden, their ministry just, they didn't change anything other than they were preaching the Gospel instead of works. And then the whole world changed. Hubs closed down, brothels closed down, churches were built, people's lives were miraculously transformed by the power of the living God because they repented and believed. I just wonder if the church of the West needs to do the same right now. Right now, in the US and universities, I don't know if you've caught up with this, but revival's breaking out in universities. It started at Asprey University in Kentucky, named after the great revivalist. And when you read about what's happening there, is it's not, it's not a big fanfare. What it is, is a gentleness of repentance. People are on their knees before a holy God and saying, Lord, we repent where our nation is going. They're reading the Word, they're praying together, they're worshipping and it's breaking out. And there's a story of it breaking out in Ohio and it came about in a lecture as they'd just been talking about it. And one one of the students there said to their professor, they said, why not here? Why not now? I read that this week and I just started to weep by myself in my office. You might have like picked up, I've been a bit moved this week. And I said, why not here? Why not now? Australia needs it just as much as America. Do you believe that church? Gosh, right now, pride, you can't go through a street in Sydney without seeing a pride flag somewhere. That is the worship of the devil. It is the worship of selfish ambition, make no mistake about it, it is. It is us putting ourselves before God and He has come that we would not follow after that but we would humble ourselves, we would repent, we would seek His face, we would turn from our wicked ways and His promise in 2 Chronicles, the first time His fire fell on the temple was that He'll hear from heaven and He'll heal our land. Now the fire has come on the new temple, humanity, the church of Jesus Christ. And if we would humble ourselves and we would seek his face and we would turn from our wicked ways, his promise is the same. That he will hear. And he will heal our land. And as I just thought about this and prayed with this, and this, we did this as an eldership and a board and a council, we met on Thursday night as a leadership and we spent the first probably 40 minutes later, 45 minutes, and we spent it in repentance. We spent it in confession. And I can't tell you, like, it was just the most beautiful. Something happened in that room. There wasn't anyone shaking or barking like dogs or anything weird. It wasn't weird, but it was just gentle and it was wild. Because there was this peace and there was this joy and there was this brokenness as we prayed for our church and we prayed for each other and we prayed for our nation. And it's been on my heart, church, that it's time to do the same. So that's what we're gonna do. And we're gonna linger. And if you've got somewhere to go, God bless you. We love you grab your kid <laughs> child I should say and we we'll, can't wait to see you next week for the end of Acts 2 but if you've got time I wonder if you'd linger with us we're going to get rid of some chairs and I want to invite our elders please to come up the front and you can come now and our, and our staff pastoral staff You come up the front, please. And we're not all here because Lobethal and Allgate and Mount Barker, and it's great. But and then, if we can have some of our intercessors as well, just coming around the edges, and we're going to create space. Let's come and pray. If you want individual prayer, if you want to confess something, come to an elder doesn't leave that space, but just confess it before God and come and receive prayer. If you wanna come and worship God, fall on your knees, whatever God's leading you to do, if you wanna just repent on behalf of the church and where we've gone and the nation and whatever God's putting on your heart, please come and do that. If you wanna pray in groups, pray together over families, whatever it is, please do that. If you wanna stand and sing, do that but we're creating space and we're going to let this moment sit for a bit let's stand to our feet let's pray loving heavenly father We thank you for all that you have done in Jesus. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit which testifies to our spirit that Jesus Christ is Lord. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit which brings to remembrance the Passover lamb, the unleavened Savior, who would not decay, the risen first fruits, Jesus Christ, who defeated sin and death, the new covenant of your spirit at Pentecost, the promise that a day will come when you will not leave us alone you will not leave the world, but you will come again with the sound of trumpets and you'll roll the heavens up like a scroll and the great day of atonement will come where you will pour out your spirit in those latter days and bring a great harvest of souls. And finally, we will sit at the wedding feast of the Lamb, the great tabernacle festival that will last and endure for all of eternity as we celebrate the risen King, Jesus Christ, who was and who is and who is to come, who has brought life out of death, who has brought unity out of separation and who has brought intimacy out of denial. We love you, Lord. We worship you. And we repent. We repent that we have trusted in ourselves. We repent that we have trusted in our intellect, our systems, our structures, our religion. ways we repent that we have forgotten you we've worshipped the God of money the God of pride the God of sport, the God of fame God of power we've worshipped so many things but you how humbly we come we confess our sin before you we say we believe help us in our unbelief help us in our doubt Lord we need healing and our nation needs healing Spirit again like a rushing wind, put your all-consuming fire upon our hearts and give us every gift we need to proclaim your wonders into the world. We worship you and we praise you. You will. Yeah, as you will, how you will. And I will talk about tongues in the weeks to come. (laughs) Some of you are ready for that. And I look forward to that with great excitement.